Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. There's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 9 that I dearly love. Verse 24, it says, Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Well, that in itself is worth spending time on. God says, let him who celebrates, celebrate this, that he understands and knows me. Now, God's ways are higher than our ways. God, God is far, far, far beyond us, far beyond any words to express it. Yeah, we know that. And I don't say that disrespectfully, but you can get so into the idea that God is so far beyond you that you can't know him that this verse would have no place in your thinking. And this is the word of God. God says, if you're going to celebrate, celebrate that you know and understand me. There's something God wants you to know about him, and he wants you to understand it about him. Not just that you know it, but that you really understand it. Now that gets my attention. And what is it that he wants you to know and understand about him. This is it. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For it is in these things that I delight. Or the word things is not in the text. It is in these that I delight. And the word delight means I set my heart on these things. These are the these these are more precious to me, more valuable to me than uh, anything else. Loving kindness extended toward you. Justice enacted on your behalf and righteousness which he wants to impart to you and manifest in and through you. And I'll spend more time on those three uh, here in just a moment. What is, what is righteousness? We're going to talk uh, about righteousness and justice. And the word justice is going to require far more than time than we can give it in this introductory time. But you can hardly talk about righteousness or justice without the two together because they're quoted in Scripture together over and over and over. They are not the same thing, or you wouldn't need two separate words, and yet they are translated from the same root Greek word, not in Hebrew, but in, in Greek it's, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're often translated interchangeably. And we'll, we'll try to unpack all that more in just a moment. But the first thing I want to say about righteousness is that Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock, and his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right. See, just and right. Righteousness. Just and right is he. Psalm 11 verse 7 says, The Lord is righteous and loves righteousness. Psalm 33 verse 5, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Well, if the Lord loves 
righteousness and justice. And he delights in loving kindness, righteousness, and justice. That Don't you think we should be bending over backwards to find out all we can about righteousness and justice and, and, and loving kindness and how these three work together in some meaningful way? Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? You take away guilt. You pass over the sin of the remnant of your own people. You do not let your anger rage on forever, but you delight in love that will never change. Did you get that? Yes, God gets angry. God could not be righteous if he didn't get angry. God could not have love if he didn't get angry. But notice, anger, contrary to the idea of some theologians of the past, and sadly some who still are around, uh, who teach that anger is a characteristic of God, just like holiness or love or uh, omnipotence or omniscience, that anger is part of God's character. The Bible doesn't support that at all. In, in fact, it says the opposite. Uh, God's, God's anger is but for a moment. His, his mercy is forever. And so uh, Micah goes on to say, once more you show us tender affection and wash out our guilt, casting all our sins into the depth of the sea. Righteousness is, is who God is. You could say it like this. Well, before I get into a definition of, of righteousness and justice, Amos chapter 5, verse 23 is a very famous verse. Many of us know it, whether we know we know it or not. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness as a never-ending stream. Righteousness, tzedakah in Hebrew, is a quality of personhood. Justice, mishpat, is the action which righteousness takes in order to secure what is right. Did you get that? You see how they're, they're the same thing, but one is the essence and the other is the action. And you can't have the essence without the action, and you can't have the action without the essence. Righteousness, to express itself, will manifest itself in that which is just. Justice will never be manifested if there's not righteousness behind it to, uh, to make it so. Now, that seems pretty clear and obvious to us, doesn't it? We, we say, Clay, I don't, you're, you're, you're describing the obvious. No, I don't know if it's that obvious. I, I, I don't think we understand, really, what we're trying to say when we t start talking about righteousness. I, I know this is silly, but I remember there was a movie back in the 80s, which many of you probably remember, called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was about a snarky teenager who got away with all kinds of illicit things. And uh, there's, a, there's a, a moment in the movie where somebody mentions Ferris Bueller to the school secretary, and her response is, oh yeah, I know him, 
the students love him. They say he's a righteous dude. And the word righteous there, of course, is a, a misused word. But it just goes to show how often words like this get warped and moving into our vernacular and we, we don't really understand how we're using them. And we do that in, in church, don't we? We do that with all kinds of words. Uh, if, if I could get myself to do it, I really wanted to just sit down and go through a list of words that we use in church circles and we don't really understand them or we think we understand. That's what's even worse. When we think we understand them and we then impose maybe our misconception on the word and then the misconception becomes doctrine. The misconception becomes Christian culture. And there's a number of examples I could use, but let's just stick with the one we're on right now. For Ferris Bueller's not a righteous dude. In fact, he's anything other than righteous. But the way they're using it in the movie is does have some actual correspondence with reality and the proper use of the word. A righteous dude here is one who takes action against the status quo and the status quo thinks he's their hero. Well, there's a lot of different meanings for the word righteous or righteousness in Scripture. That's why when you read the book of Romans, for instance, and you're trying to understand the righteousness of God, what it means to be the righteousness of God, or what righteousness that's imparted to us, or righteousness that's imputed to us. What does all that mean? And if you're anything like I was as a young man, and and I, I still wrestle with it in my 60s, those areas in my character that were not righteous and that are not righteous where I still see myself lapsing in areas of, of, of uh, sanctification, areas of character under development, if for lack of a better term, I always wonder how much farther along I might be in my character, in godliness and righteous behavior and righteous attitudes. If I hadn't spent the first 35 or 40 years of my life under the wrong conception of righteousness as being a legal position only that I am given at my conversion that really has no effect on my behavior or my character or my attitudes or my appetites. Well, I'll I'll try to come back and revisit that more in just a minute. But for clarity's sake, let's say it like this. Righteousness has several different manifestations of what it is. Righteousness is right, obviously. What I mean by that is righteousness is a state of personhood. God is not righteous because he chooses to be. Righteousness is what God is. For God to be God, righteousness is just part of that. God is light. God is love. God is pure. God is righteous. 
God is eternal. God doesn't choose those things. They are manifestations of who and what he is. But righteousness also does what is right. It is what is right. It does what is right. Abraham says to God in Genesis chapter 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, of course he'll do right. It's not a question. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says God is, God is the, the, the source of all right is God. But there's a third area. And this, this is the third area that I really, I mean, we, we all know those first two. But the third one is equally important. And that is righteousness puts right. He is right. He does right. But he also puts right. That means he judges evil and rescues from it. So righteousness and love, though they are obviously not exactly the same thing, are inseparable. 1 John chapter 3, verse 29 says that uh, if we understand that Jesus is righteous, then we understand those who do righteousness are his. And then in 1 John 3, verses 7 through 18 which I won't, I won't take the time to reference here except just to cite it for you to go look up. John connects righteousness and love to the point that you cannot separate them. A loving heart is a righteous heart, so it energizes right action, just action, which puts things right. So here you have action just justification uh, or or ju- uh, justice is the action of righteousness now in isaiah chapter 1 verse 11 and following god says to the people of of, Ju- of judah what purpose is your sacrifice to me of what purpose is it all your rituals and your sacrifices. Samuel had already said long before this to, to uh, King Saul in Samuel 15, verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is far better than sacrifice. And Isaiah picks up on that same truth in chapter 1 of Isaiah when he says, the Lord speaking through him, what purpose is your sacrificial offering to me? I'm, I'm full of your sacrifices. I do not delight in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Your hands are covered with blood that you have shed. Innocent blood. Wash yourselves. Put away your evil doings. Stop your evil practices. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Pursue it. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan and the widow. Jeremiah echoes the same word in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Change your ways. It's what you do, not what you claim to believe that matters. If you do not oppress the stranger or mistreat the orphan or the widow, 
or shed the innocent blood uh, or, or worship false gods. I will establish you. But you do all these things and then you run to the temple and say, the temple, the temple, the temple. We are delivered so we can do all these things. Now, I don't believe for a minute that, that the whole body of Christ is under such deception. I believe actually on the contrary that there's more awakening going on right now than there's ever been maybe in the history of this country. There's more awake. You cannot judge that by watching the news. That's why you need to quit watching it. It's not news. It's not true, most of it. And it's just a life-sapping falsehood, or if it's not outright propaganda. Just turn it off and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. God is awakening his people. There is a, a, a heart cry going up from this nation from many, many quarters, unlike there's ever been, I think, in the history of this country, at least not since the Civil War, maybe. Uh, people crying out for God and uh, crying out for, for the, the presence of God and the reality of God. And so we got to be careful when we read verses like Jeremiah 7 uh, that I just quoted uh, about the, the wickedness of their behavior and how they take comfort in the temple, the temple, while they continue to go on living uh, in pagan wickedness. Are there Christians who are living as if they don't know the Lord and claiming the temple, the temple, or in other words, claiming that they are right with God and they, they, they have a relationship with God, but they're living as if they don't? That's always a, 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 an issue that we have to wrestle with and deal with. But I don't believe that is the norm. I don't believe that's what's going on in, in, in the hearts of the people. I believe we are moving more and more toward a, a great awakening, a great awakening. And that's why the Holy Spirit is dealing with all of us, me included, I'm telling you, dealing with us about areas of our character and areas of our life where we have possibly been irresponsible or uh, even even rebellious, uh, where we have been, uh, at, the, at least we have been slipshod and foolish. And the Holy Spirit is, is awakening. I talk, I talk to people from all kinds of walks of life and backgrounds, not all of them in ministry, but all of them belonging to the Lord. And they're saying, God's not letting me get away with certain things that I used to just slide by with. Didn't even realize I was sliding by with anything. But, uh, but uh, he's, he's turning up the fire, the purging fire. Blessed be his holy name. May it be so. Because uh, in this awakening, you see, righteousness, uh, justice, loving kindness has to begin in the people of God before it ever reaches the, the, the country. And it's taken, uh, we Christians in America, a long time to awaken to the fact that God will not deal with unbelievers first. He's going to deal with us and, and, uh, and, and bring us into a deeper sanctification. Micah chapter 6, uh, Micah says, right along with Jeremiah and uh, Isaiah, he says, Lord, if I came before you with thousands of sacrifices, 
It wouldn't move you. If I brought you the blood of my firstborn child, you would certainly reject it. You have shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of us but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Now, doing what is right, walking humbly with our God, and loving mercy because we have received mercy, so we give mercy. See, God's concern for man, which is manifested in his cry for justice, is all because of his love for man. It's not it's not justice for the keeping of rules. It's the rule of the just in order to manifest love and righteousness and goodness because he loves man. He loves humanity. He loves people. Now, what is imputed righteousness? I really want to try to get this across because especially for any of you who are young believers who are just beginning to walk with the Lord, I was I was misguided. I, and I don't mean this to blame anybody but myself. I could read the Bible. But uh, at the same time that I could read the Bible, I just didn't understand so much of what I was reading. And to be honest... It's hard to it's hard to grasp some of it. Uh, that's why there's so many denominations and so many different points of view within those denominations. We need only the Holy Spirit can guide us into all truth, and uh, He will, and He's promised to, and He will. And this is one truth I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is guiding us into, and that is this: imputed righteousness is defined in many circles, most circles, to be honest, as God's righteousness, which he gives to us at our conversion, as a legal, what is what is called a legal fiction. Now, what is a legal fiction? That's obviously not a biblical word. It's a, it's a legal word. It comes from the law courts, not from, not from the scriptures. It is that God is righteous and you are not but God gives you his righteousness as a legal position. You don't really have any righteousness of your own. Well, of course you don't have any righteousness of your own. That's obvious and it's scripture. But here's what ends up happening. It ends up becoming God only gives you a legal position of righteousness and that's all. Uh, I heard one preacher quoted a few days ago. It just made it made my skin crawl. He he said we will spend the first million years in heaven, just being so thankful we're not in hell. Really? Do you you really think that you re, you really think that's all this is about? Is is that? Well. And, and then he went on to say that you know you you're so you're so filthy and so sinful that in the light of 
heaven, you'll see even more clearly what a filthy mess you are and uh, and be ever grateful that you're not in hell. Is that is that really what Jesus accomplished at the cross? Is that really the heart of God? Is that really what this is all about? I don't, obviously, I don't think so. Imputed righteousness, there is a biblical precedent for it. Obviously, Romans chapter 4, the entire chapter is on that. But, it's about Abraham's experience of imputed righteousness. What do we see in Abraham? We see he's dead. He cannot produce life in himself. He is without hope of ever manifesting life through him or to him. But he believed God's promise. And God said, if you believe what I'm telling you, that brings you into a relationship with the life giver. And that means that I am going to be able to bring you fully into your true self. And so even though you're not there yet, I'm going to impart, impute righteousness to you. I'm going to reckon you righteous. You're not righteous, but I'm going to reckon you righteous knowing that as I do that, the grace of God that I saved you with is going to be working in you to bring you to the point where just like Abraham who was dead and could not produce life still eventually because he believed God was able to see a baby born to him at the age of 100 just like Abraham did that just just in the same way you are going to be able to to see life manifested through you that didn't come from you but does come to you and flow through you. And so until you get to that point, you're covered by my righteous grace. And that same grace is working in you to bring you to the place where you will actually be a life giver in me. You are going to eventually be the righteousness that has been imparted to you by grace. If I had had that drilled into me, the way the wrong concept was drilled into me, I think it would have made a positive difference in my progress in victory over sin. But instead, what I heard was, you're a sinner, you've always been a sinner, that's all you'll ever be is a sinner. You're only covered by God's grace, that's all you are. And thank God you're covered by His grace, but you will never overcome sin. You'll always have sin in your life, you'll always be uh, what you are. Now, it wasn't said quite that bad but almost even in sermons, and it was certainly said in private conversations with people, especially some that I would go to for help, struggling with the, the, the sexual struggles that I was in and the terrible images in my mind and the compulsive behaviors in my body and asking, what can I do? And, and I would be told on various occasions, you just have to trust the grace of God. But what they meant was, 
Trust in this covering that's covering me. See, the idea is you are you are a filthy mess, but here's this bathrobe, and you put the bathrobe on, the filthy mess is still all going on underneath that bathrobe, but you just keep that robe tight, uh, wrapped, wrapped around you. There was even a song that we would sing. The song is not wrong. The song is a good song, and I don't want to insult the whoever wrote the song. It says, I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. Uh, I am covered over with the uh, uh, robe of righteousness because Jesus lives in me. Well, that's good. Uh, what a joy it is to know my heavenly Father loves me so. That's good too. He gives to me my Jesus. And when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Now, those lyrics are not wrong, but you know it's very difficult to get solid theology communicated in a few rhyming verses. It's, it's a hard thing to do. So I'm not, I'm not impugning the lyrics, but here's how we interpreted those lyrics. I'm a mess. That's all I've ever been. That's all I'm ever going to be. I'm covered over with a robe of righteousness, but I have no righteousness of my own. Of course you don't. My righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, we quote that from Isaiah. And the Hebrew word there is actually the word for a menstruous cloth. And it implies that which cannot produce life, that which is dead. Well, Abraham couldn't produce life. He was dead, but the power of God resurrected him and manifested life through his body that was already reckoned, already, already dead, which says this is not just God reckoning righteousness to you. It is God reckoning it to you while you are being transformed from glory to glory until you will begin to produce life. And it, the life that's being produced is not coming from you. None of this will ever come from you, but it will come for you and to you and flow through you. And you are not just an old sinner and that's all you've ever been and all you will ever be. You know, uh, I mentioned in our time together last uh, last session, in those days, uh, the early days, when people would say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's all I am, all I'll ever be. And then we learn better, and we begin to say, no, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's more biblical. But then that became just a dead, ritualistic uh, statement. Uh, because what God is after is that we receive the imputed grace of righteousness that does cover our brokenness, knowing that that same grace is also going to do something beyond that. And that's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The grace of God, which has appeared to all men, teaches us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to come to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Oh, I wish somebody had taught me that early. And I wish I had read it for myself, and then the Holy Spirit could have gotten it through to me, whether anybody else taught me or not. So I, I want to be careful. I keep making reference to what I wasn't taught but I could, have, I could have pursued it for myself. I hope those of you who are listening to me now, regardless of what struggles you're in, regardless of what kind of besetting sin you, you've been battling, 
and I, listen, I know how grievous it is when you, you feel like you, you're climbing up a mountain and you slide all the way down to the bottom. Uh, we use the term backsliding. Listen, lay that aside and take hold of what I'm telling you here. Because I'm telling you the, the great good news is that Jesus not only covers your sin and washes it away with his blood, but then he imparts to you the power to deliver. He, he, remember I told you righteousness doesn't just deliver from the effects of sin. Righteousness then transforms you into who you're going to be. You want scripture for it? First John chapter 3. Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We will one day be like Jesus. That's not going to just happen at the resurrection. See, I was taught, you get saved, you're covered by grace, God knows you're going to sin. He knows you're not going to ever be able to overcome all this terrible sin. But you just you know, hold on and hope for the rapture. And then at the rapture, when you rise from the dead or meet the Lord in the air, you'll just be instantly zapped into uh, being like Jesus. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. I just quoted second uh, chapter of uh, Titus. And then I quoted First John chapter 3. Uh, there's many others I could cite. Uh, Jude verse 24, uh, unto him who's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. Be honor and glory forever. First uh, Peter chapter 5 verse 10, uh, after you have uh, suffered a while, the Lord will establish, strengthen, settle, and perfect you. Many other verses I could cite on it. But are you beginning to understand that righteousness is not just a legal position? Uh, I don't want to bore you with the history of how we got in that mindset. It goes back to uh, really to Augustine in the 5th century when Augustine, who I love and respect and have deepest respect for, but Augustine did not know Greek. He did not know how to interpret some of these verses. He translated them into Latin and imposed some of his Latin legal legalistic ideas on the interpretations. And so we end up with a, uh, a concept of, of re re redemption and a concept of righteousness that is more a legal position than an actual realization. Thank God that we have the legal position, but God is not a judge primarily. God is primarily a father, and he's primarily interested in his children, not in court cases. And so uh, he is going to bring you to the fullness of your identity in your elder brother, Christ, when you're, you're put into Christ, Christ is put into you. But the Father doesn't look at you only through Jesus. You hear that all the time. God the Father, oh, he, he can't stand you. He can, only, he can only look at you through Jesus. The Bible doesn't teach that. 
The Bible says, Jesus himself says, the Father himself loves you. Jesus himself says, the Father and I will come to you and make our home with you. Jesus and the Father are one. You don't have Jesus loving you and the Father just putting up with you. It's just, it's blasphemy. Besides that, well, maybe it's not blasphemy. It's just ignorance. But it's really bad ignorance because it leaves us fatherless. It leaves us estranged from the Father, distant from the Father in our mind. He's not distant from you. He's never been distant from you. Uh, The Father was present in Jesus, reconciling the world back to himself. He, He wasn't reconciled to you because he never was estranged from you. You were reconciled to him. It's not the father running home to the prodigal son. It's the prodigal son running home to the father and the father running out to meet the prodigal son and holding him and caressing him and repeatedly kissing him and giving him immediately full stature uh, in the legal position, though it would take the son a while to learn how to operate for real as a son. He had all the legalities given to him immediately by the father. Can, can you see that? Oh, I hope you can. Because if, if you can get this, you will stop thinking of yourself as just an old sinner and that thought causing you to, to stay in your old patterns of sin. I mean, you stay in those old patterns because partly you have this wrong thinking going on inside you. First John chapter 3, verse 7 says, get this, he says, children, don't be misled. Have you ever noticed how many times the Bible says, don't be misled, and those are the very areas we're misled in? Don't be misled. The one who does what is righteous is righteous. (sighs) Love must not be a matter of mere talk, he says in verse 18, but in genuine action and behavior. Oh, that's work salvation. The mis the devil has has had a field day with the misuse of the concept of works salvation. Titus chapter two verse five, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit renewing? Our true self. The works of righteousness, he's saying, we, we, we did not save ourselves with, are the works that, that Paul talks about uh, in other places, the works of the law, the, 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 the ritual uh, works of the law. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to have a salvation that really works. It doesn't mean, well, now if you, if you start really wrestling with these character flaws in your life, you don't want to get over into work salvation. Well, well, then you end up in Romans 6. Shall we just keep sinning so grace can keep abounding? Paul says, of course not. Grace comes to cover. Grace comes to heal. Grace comes to forgive. Grace comes to transform. But if you don't believe that, you won't be appropriating that part of your uh, deliverance. It's faith it's faith that God counts as righteousness in you. 
So if you're believing him for salvation, that's working in your life. If you believe him for sanctification, that'll be working in your life. But if you just stop believing in that area, then you're you're not appropriating that part of what he intended for you. You'll die and go to heaven, but you'll, you may die way too early because you're worn out from the besetting repetitive failures and sins. I know all about that. I wasted years struggling and struggling in my own strength but all the time, struggling in my own strength, mainly because I had this wrong teaching buried in my soul. Well, you're not ever going to overcome most things, you know. You're not ever going to be totally free. Everybody sins a little bit every day. I actually heard sermons on that. Everybody sins every day. You got to sin. I mean, you have to have, you got to sin. <laughs> I mean, they don't say sin has to sin should abound so grace may abound, but they almost do. A little boy asked his dad one time, and he said, Dad, you think you can go 10 minutes without sinning? He said, no, son, I don't really think so unless I'm asleep. He said, well, you think you can go five minutes without sinning? He said, well, maybe, but I don't think so. He said, well, could, could you go a minute without sinning? He said, well, yeah, maybe I he said, then why don't you just live minute by minute? <laughs> now look, I know that's a, that's a cute illustra- illustrative story, but it's got some powerful questions in it we all need to ask. We don't have to sin. Now, I'm just quoting scripture. 1 John chapter 2, beloved You don't have to sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the the propitiation for our sins. He's the covering, the atonement for our sins. Not for ours only, but by the way, the sins of the whole world. But you don't have to sin. Say, Clay, well... Have you got that down now? Oh, sure I do. Just send me send me a $100 check and I'll send you the uh, how-to tape series on how to never sin again. You know I'm kidding. I hope you do know I'm kidding. No, I don't have it down. Uh, I, I, but my mind is being renewed. See, my mind is rene- renewed. I'm having to change the way I think about these subjects. And when I change the way I think, that will change the way I believe and that will change the way I behave. Because ultimately what matters is what I do, not just how I believe about it. Now, we've talked about this in other sessions and I'm not saying anything new to you that you haven't heard before. But I hope I hope it's coming across to you with a, a newness of hope, an awareness of Philippians 1, 6, he who has begun a good work in you will finish it, even if it takes all the way to the day of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is the beginner and the perfecter of your faith. He's working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. All these verses that I'm quoting You've heard them before, but are you hearing them with faith? Are you hearing them in confidence that, yes, I take hold of that. I believe that. 
I believe that these areas where I've been stuck or where I have relapsed or where I have been almost run over by the enemy or run over by the enemy. Micah chapter 7, uh, verse 7. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. Though I have fallen, I shall arise. I have sat in darkness and the Lord has been displeased with me. But he has forgiven me and I shall arise. Take hold of that. I just pray for all of us that we will begin to believe that Jesus did not just come to save us from hell so when we die we can go to heaven. Thankful as I am for that. He came to restore in our union with him what was lost in our union with Adam. On the cross, the old Adam died. In the resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam rose and you died in the old Adam and you rose again in the new Adam. And yet some people preach it that you're still in the old Adam, even though it's you've got a legal fiction that places you in the new Adam. But really, it's really for real, it's the old Adam. And so this power, this powerless, impotent, weak, sin-dominated church just creeps along hoping for the rapture when everything will get fixed. Well, thank the Lord at the resurrection from the, the grave. Yes, we will, we will be transformed. But let me throw you a curveball. Does that mean that every issue of your life will just have King's X written over it and it'll all be covered over with uh, a legal fiction? If you die with unforgiveness in your heart or you die with some besetting sin that you haven't worked through as millions of believers surely must have done, does that mean that when you die, well, you sloughed that old body off and it's not of any value anyway. Well, at the resurrection, your body comes up. It's a new body, but you're not a different person. You're still the person who died with whatever unreconciled issues are there. What's going to happen? Well, the church got all upset uh, uh, at the idea of uh, there being issues on the other side of the grave that still have to be confronted. And so uh, you, 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 you don't ever hear any sermons about it. But Paul says, if he matters at all, that we will all give account to God for the deeds done in our body, Romans 14. If it's all just legally covered over, why are we going to have to give account for it? This is not about whether you go to heaven or hell. This is not about judgment day being uh, to, to decide if you're saved or not. This is about unfinished business in your life. I'm Listen, I'm thankful with all my heart that God will deal with anything unfinished in me. I long for it. I, I, I would not, not want to go to a heaven where a little bit of hell is welcomed. And if there's a little bit of hell in me when I die, for whatever reason I haven't dealt with it, don't, who knows why, the Holy Spirit is going to deal with it at the judgment seat, the Bema seat. 
And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we will all, our works will be judged. And I've heard all kind of sermons about, it's only your works that are being judged. Don't worry about that. It's only your works. No, 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 no. Me and my works are tied together. By the way, let me just mention something I neglected to say a while ago about the robe of righteousness that covers us. Do you know what the Bible says is the robe, the white robe? Book of Revelation. The white robe is the righteous deeds of the saints. Not only is it not just a covering over your sinful nature, so you can go on practicing sin underneath that covered that covering but the bible actually says that robe is the righteous deeds of the saints that's just an important point that i think we should keep in mind but anyway folks are you hearing are you hearing the cry of my heart in this maybe we just need to stop here and and pray some of you may be upset at me uh, that's okay. I, I don't mind you being upset at me as long as you'll take what you're upset at to the Lord and ask him if what I'm saying is the truth. And then ask him to help you embrace whatever you need to embrace that will help you begin to move into a more, a more fully manifested sanctification so that you... You can be changed from glory to glory as you behold the face of the Lord so that you can overcome those those things that are still binding you, that are still hurting you, that are still trying to deform your life, trying to, to uh, dis- if they can't, he couldn't keep you from coming to life in Christ, so he tries to keep you from living life in Christ. Uh, those things should not, they should not be. And you need to be angry at them enough to rise up and say, as I quoted from Micah 7, rejoice not against me, O my enemy. I, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Let's, let's just go to the Lord right now. Father, I pray for every man and woman boy or girl, listening to my voice. I pray especially for those who, like myself, maybe have struggled with the same issues from the past over and over. Maybe we've made progress and then we we lose ground. We just slide back to old patterns of self-comfort or old patterns of unbelief or old patterns of self-pity or old patterns of resentment or old patterns of arrogance and pride. I mean, the list is so long, and we all know the list. We've, we've got our own lists. I pray, Father, for those who have been bound by a false doctrine for years that says our righteousness is really just filthy rags. The only righteousness we ever will see in this life is that imputed covering, that imparted covering that was given to us as a legal fiction to cover us, but sin just keeps running rampant underneath that covering. 
And we just have to just throw ourselves on, on God's mercy. Father, we do throw ourselves on your mercy. We do. We know that our sins uh, are, are heartbreakingly grievous to you. They're heartbreakingly grievous to us. But you've got a lot more to say to us than just to talk to us about our sins. You have given us good news, and it really is good news. And that is that you who have begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion. That that uh, we are able to work out our own salvation knowing that it is you working in us that is energizing us to will and to do your good pleasure. That we are able to walk in, with you in all pleasing and become fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And many, many other verses that we could point to that don't have any reference to our old sin nature. Uh, they, they don't make a place for us to focus on our old sin nature. They do just the opposite. They call us into our new self, our true self. We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would just be released now into the lives of every person listening to the sound of my voice. And that old sin patterns would begin to be brought up into the light and you would begin to shine your light into them and break those bondages off of people. Loose them from wrong ways of thinking or practices. I pray for those who have struggled with smoking. Uh, those who have struggled with overeating. Those who have struggled with uh, areas of, of lust or fantasy. Uh, that's resulted in uh, autoeroticism of any kind. I pray, for, Father, for those who have re reoccurring uh, issues of unforgiveness and uh, bitterness. And we find ourselves telling the story over again about who hurt us and what they did to us. And yeah, we've forgiven them, but I pray, Father, for those of us who have an, an unruly mouth. Our mouth is ungodly. Uh, Father, you've, you know that I've, I've cried out to you. I've repented to my audience. I've repented to my family. I've repented to my friends. I've repented to, uh, uh, to you most of all, Father, for the misuse of my mouth. Uh, I know what, what's worse is even in the name of righteousness, in the name of speaking the truth and having a fiery, position of self-righteousness disguising itself as righteousness. Father, I, I thank you for your cleansing of that in my life, and I pray for any person listening who needs that kind of cleansing work, if they want it, if they want it. I pray, Father, for a release of the Spirit, for deep, deep conviction of sin in our lives. Father, that we would we would love what you love, and hate what you hate. And that we would love it as much as you love it. And we would hate it as much as you hate it. Father, thank you for the grace at work in this prayer. Please take this message. Multiply it by the power of your Holy Spirit to feed the parts of our hearts that are hungry for it.
I thank you, Father, that you who have begun this good work in us will complete it. And that whatever is not completed on this side, we will give account before you at the Bema seat. Our works will be tested by fire. That which endures the fire shall come forth as gold and silver and precious stones. That which cannot endure the fire will thankfully be burned away. Wood, hay, and stubble. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. That you have begun this good work in us. We'll finish it. In Jesus' name. Amen.